Today we're talking to Justin Knight, CEO and Director of Apple Hospitality REIT. Apple has a rich history in the hotel industry, and after outperforming expectations in 2020, they're ready to go on offense in 2021. Let's hear what Justin has to say. Justin, thanks for joining me. This is great. This is fun. Um, I want to talk about, uh, I mean, I want to talk about a lot. I want to get into your background, but uh, and maybe we should continue that. So my, I love the Knight family story. I love the Apple story. Uh, I, I just think you guys are one of the first institutions into our limited service, little niche hotel industry. Uh, huh. Came in a big way, and I think you made fundamental changes. Huh. Uh, I'm gonna prime the pump of how you got started, but one of my favorite first sort of just huh. night uh, stories, I think, was at our conference. Shameless plug, but it was I, I had to check. 2004. Huh. Uh, 2004. I think we were both children at the time. I, I feel like it for sure. That feels like forever ago. So you were the keynote speaker huh. uh, at the Hunter Conference, and what are our members? You announced that Apple had just announced, I don't know, it was Apple three or four, and it was mm. a billion dollar fund. Mm. And that was when a billion dollars meant something. It was a, a big deal. It was yeah, a big was, deal. And that was a big deal. Eyes were wide open, like who is <laughs> <who wins it? laughs> <laughs> Oh, That's right. That's right. No, that, those, were, um, those were great times. We, we got into the hospitality business in, in 99. Um, and started acquiring first Homewood Suites, and, and this is pre-promise um, being acquired by Hilton. So this yeah. is way, way back in the day, um, and, and um, really had a tremendous amount of success with the extended stay product. Um, you know, we, we pivoted from that and did a fund completely with residence ins, 100% residence ins. And at one point, we were one of, um, if not the largest owner of hotels within that particular brand. Um, and those two funds were so successful that, that we started um, to build on that track record and, and created fund after fund after fund. I mean, each fund got a little bit bigger. Um, and we expanded our vision to include additional brands within the Marriott and Hilton brand families. Um, and yeah, they, you know, at your conference, um, we had at that point established a very good track record of performance with our investors investing in the select service space. Um, and as a result, we, we were raising money very quickly. Um, and that, that really continued uh, for a number of years. At one point at peak, we were raising over $100 million through a single brokerage house on a monthly basis um, and, and buying assets um, all over the country. It, it, very good times. David Lerner, I remember those days. Exactly. You had to spend it. If you didn't spend it, that it was expensive. <laughs> it made a difference. I, I like to think we still did a very good job investing the money. Uh, and really, you know, I, I think we fine-tuned an investment strategy during that period of time uh, around a type of assets that, as you highlighted, were, were kind of under-recognized from an institutional standpoint, but had unique characteristics that appealed to our investors. Our, our investors at the time were 100% retail investors. Um, they were investing for cash dividends. Um, in a relatively illiquid security because at the time we weren't traded on an exchange. Um, and we were investing in assets that produced really high margins um, that were relatively stable over you know, economic cycles. We were broadly diversifying the portfolio, investing in both suburban and urban markets. Um, and we used very little debt, which was, at the time was an incredibly novel concept, right? But, but those factors, combined with the fact that we were fortunate enough um, to meet and to begin doing business with really, really good 
local and regional management companies um, that, that did third-party management for us. Um, you know, that, that combination um, created amazing results for us. Uh, and, and at the time, there were very few, many, uh, there were very few of us doing that institutionally. Um, and, and, you know, the, the field was wide open for us. Uh, you know, as, as we started to prove the concept, more and more people uh, began to enter the space. And, and ultimately, you know, uh, by the time we were doing, um, I'm trying to think, I, I mean, our sixth fund, which was uh, our fourth hospitality fund, uh, we ended up selling to Blackstone. And, and at that point, you know, uh, private equity, large private equity groups, Blackstone, Starwood, others um, saw the value and were making big bets in the space. Um, and, you know, I, I think all of that was happening at the same time, we were seeing a massive consumer shift towards that same product. And, and you know, over the years, people talk about supply in this like service space, and, and there's so much focus on that. Sometimes we miss the fact that if you look at year-over-year trends uh, and the, the compounding, uh, you know, result of those trends, demand for select service assets, especially within the upscale and upper mid-scale segments, has has increased. You know. By by a significant multiple, I, I think Chris um, in Hilton's earnings call referred to this as a, a mega trend, uh, you know, towards uh, the mid market. Um, one that Hilton obviously benefits with uh, from because of the, their presence in that space for the brands they have. But but Marriott has always had a strong presence in that space as well, and and uh, the two big parent brands have, have created this amazing environment uh, that, that we benefit from for now well over two decades. Yeah, so I mean, listen, we've been in this limited service space for a long time and we've kind of known it. We've watched Wall Street show up. Uh, again, you guys are the first month and, I, and remind me how we got into it. I, I mean, my recollection was basically a deal between Marriott and your father, Clade. Uh -huh. Like, we got these things, you guys were in the apartment business. We have uh -huh. residence inns that kind of like apartments. Uh -huh. You guys know how to raise money institutionally. You want you want to buy all this? Sure. Well, I, I mean, it's interesting. So my father got into real estate um, coming out of the military. He was drafted during Vietnam uh, and got into real estate and, and really invested doing syndication deals, raising money for individual deals uh, in a variety of different types of real estate, predominantly in multifamily. That that was the the primary focus. But he did he did golf courses, you know. Motels, it, it really uh, a broad spectrum uh, of investments. Um, with the tax law changes, because a lot of these deals have been set up as tax shelters, um, you know, he, he had a, an issue and, and ended up having to roll out of a lot of these funds. Um, and at the time, met David Lerner, which is a, a great story. Uh, you know, it, he was actually working out of one of these partnerships, um, and opposing counsel approached him as they walked out of the courthouse and said, "Hey." We really like you. Would like to introduce you to somebody, um, and, and so it was. It was opposing counsel in a workout that introduced him to David Lerner, and um, you know they together. And, and if you talk to David or my father, uh, you know the story kind of shifts uh, between who had what idea. But but they decided that uh, you know that there might be a market for a, re a real estate investment trust. Which again, this is in '93, so you know they were just barely. Um, becoming popular, I think, uh, investment vehicles. Uh, you know, they, they decided they'd start a REIT um, and that REIT would have no debt, you know, very low debt. And, and these were 
incredibly novel concepts at the time, Com coming out of the late 80s where people were levering assets, you know, 100% um, or more, um, and, and, and deciding that we were going to move away from that and have these no-debt investment vehicles was crazy. Um, and they, they did two funds, actually, in multifamily, mostly on the East Coast. Um, you know, the second fund was focused in Texas, um, but Virginia, North South Carolina, Georgia. Um, and during that period of time, uh, they, they were incredibly successful buying old, um, you know, they would call them C-class apartment communities in A locations and doing renovations and, and then increasing the rent and, and making money in that way. And, and interestingly, if, if you look at how we segued into hospitality, the types of assets we were buying early, whether it was the, the Homewood Suites, which at the time were very early generation, uh, you know, there were just over 100 total Homewood Suites in the brand. And, uh, you know, those assets had exterior entrances. Um, you know, they, they were the old, early generation kind of garden style product. Um, and, and really, my father, so as we transitioned, my father and Bill Marriott had been friends for a number of years. Um, and met when my father lived up in the D.C. area um, uh, for a period of time when I was really, really young. Um, and my father approached him and said, hey, you know, we're thinking of getting into the hospitality business, yada, yada, yada. And, and uh, you know, at the time, I'm sure Bill gets approached by people all the time, you know, with, with something similar to that. And, and nothing really materialized. And, and there was another introduction made to the folks of Promise. And we started doing Home and Sweets deals. Well, the two of them... Uh, we're together at a social event, you know, a year or two later. And at the time, we owned over a dozen homeless suites, I think. And, um, and, and my father mentioned to Bill Marriott that we were, Bill had asked, oh, how's the hospitality thing going? And he said, great, you know, we own uh, about a dozen homeless suites. And Bill said, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and recently, we had a meeting up at Marriott headquarters and, and we're talking about their Gen 1 residence ends, which, um, you know, in many ways, we're similar to the types of assets that we were investing in. They were in great locations. Um, they needed uh, capital. Uh, they'd been owned in partnerships that, that hadn't allowed for the continual reinvestment. Um, but through reinvestment, we saw an opportunity to really move the needle from a return standpoint. And so um, our second fund was exclusively in the residence in space and was significantly larger than the first fund. Um, and each fund after that grew a little bit. Um, you know, interestingly, the brands were very young at the time. And there weren't a lot. There weren't a lot of hotels within those brands, and so as we began to increase our fundraising, we, we really ran out of product to buy. You know, at the time, we, we owned you know double-digit percentages of these brands, um, and which it, it made it increasingly difficult to acquire the next hotel. And so we expanded our vision to include courtyards and and um, Hamptons and, and other select service brands, and really got to know those brands fairly intimately as, as we acquired hotels within them uh, over the years. It, it's important to note, I, I mean, since 99, since we got into the hospitality space, we've owned well over 400 hotels um, and we've owned over a hundred residents in. So, you know, I, I think our focus uh, exclusively on Hilton and Marriott brands early, we now have Hyatt select service hotels as part of our portfolio as well, but, uh, enable us to get really deep within those brands and have have really robust experience with them and come to understand how they operate, where they're most effective, the types of customers that, that are most attracted to the individual brands, and how the operating models vary from you know one hotel brand to another. Um, and, and to really be strategic in how we built out the next portfolio to ensure that we were buying the right hotel 
in the right market, um, you know, so, so that we would have a competitive advantage as we saw increasing supply in those markets or changing dynamics. Yeah, I think you guys learned a ton. I mean, you arguably helped grow up the industry, right? Help formulate it. I mean, the first residence in, you said, was a garden-style apartment. Look at them today. First Hampton Inn was two stories, exterior corridor, 55000 a key. Look at them today. We have 20-story Hamptons. I mean, it's evolved significantly, and I think you guys were a big part of that. Well, the, I mean, the brands have done an incredible job, and, and I'd love to think that we've been a part of it. We've certainly been there while it's happened. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting because we've seen significant evolution in the prototypes for the brands. You know, if you look at the old Hamptons, um, you know, they, they were exterior corridor, you know, very motel-like. Um, and, and New Hamptons, uh, the New Hampton prototype is an amazing product that, that has broad consumer appeal. But beyond that, what we've seen is, uh, you know, owners of these assets have become more sophisticated. And so outside of the prototype, uh, we've seen development of these amazing products that bear the brand name, um, but are built, I think, to even higher standards. And, and those new products uh, have really continued to build and to drive innovation within the brands as a whole, which, which has, I, I think, helped to propel this massive shift from a demand standpoint to that type of product. The, the other piece that's really valuable here is, is that we've tried to own assets that are adjacent to amenities that are attractive to guests. So we don't feel like we have to have all of the amenities in-house, um, but can operate very efficiently and effectively, focus on the things that we do very well, providing a great bed, um, a good breakfast, and then having a location that enables our guests to benefit from active neighborhoods, with retail and entertainment venues um, and, and, you know, in close proximity to business demand generators as well. So isn't that the lesson that we learned way back when? I mean, again, there was a reason. Go back 40 years ago or 30, institutions were only in the full service hotels. That's all they knew. They didn't even think mm -hmm. about limited service. And in their defense, limited service at that time was Days Inn and Motel 6 and the like, right? They didn't even think about it. Uh, but, but again, the entrepreneur knew we like this business model. It's just rooms. We can maximize efficiencies. We can make a ton of money here. Again, you guys brought the institutions to that world. Uh, I think it's proven out today, even oh. in COVID, right? That, oh, let's not have uh -huh. amenities and let's shrink costs and figure out how we can stay afloat. Uh, and so you, I don't know, you've been in the right space, I think. I think that's probably proven out by uh, <laughs> uh, comparing yourself to your peers today. Uh, it's, it's been amazing. You know, and, and this past year, was horrific for the entire industry, um, but I can't imagine being better situated, uh, you know, to, to weather that storm than, than we were coming into it. And, and, you know, if you look at not only the type of product we own, uh, which I, I think we've talked a lot about the benefits of the select service model um, in the margins it produces and the stability, but if you look at the geographic makeup of our portfolio, where we're heavily concentrated, you know, prior to this, I highlighted we've refined our investment thesis over time. And, and you know, a decade ago, we identified this shift away from uh, some of the higher cost, higher barrier, quote unquote, barrier to entry markets to um, lower cost, more business friendly markets. And it, it was a fairly significant shift, one that benefited, I, I think, markets like Austin and Nashville. That those are kind of poster children for, for this move, but, but really benefited a lot of other markets. Um, and you saw it because your company historically was largely focused in, in those markets that were benefiting from that shift. Um, that shift was, uh, you know, uh, I, I think given 
incremental incentive with the tax law changes, which made it more expensive to live in some of those big cities and, and uh, you know, more expensive, um, less business friendly uh, markets. Um, and then with COVID, we saw an incremental shift in that direction. And if you look back, that combined with the fact that we have continued to have very little leverage, right? you know, looking back to the roots that we talked about early uh, with some of our initial REIT structures, uh, very little leverage, put us in a position where last year we, uh, and, you know, we didn't make a ton of money, but we were cash flow positive at the, at the corporate level. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was a massive differentiator for us. And since we listed, We've been talking to investors about the merits of our unique business strategy. And, and we had one of our investors um, in the middle of last year say, well, you know, it's great that it only took a pandemic to prove what you've been telling to us all, all this time. Uh, but but I, I, think, um, I, I think what's underappreciated still is the fact that uh, this type of product and, and this type of market concentration not only provides us downside protection in a difficult economic environment, but, but we feel gives us a head start as we move through the recovery uh, and puts us in a great position to continue our outperformance as markets rebound. I, I mean, certainly this year, we've seen a dramatic improvement in occupancies across our portfolio. And we published uh, occupancies through the end of February, where we were getting back to portfolio occupancy just under 60%. We've continued to see improvement on that number um, in March uh, with spring break and, and uh, you know uh, other leisure travel meaningfully uh, picking up. But we've also seen a return, uh, at least of a portion of the business transient um, in our hotels and midweek occupancies have been coming up as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily at this point, the big, large corporations uh, that are really moving the needle on that. Um, but, but our small local and regional accounts, uh, which really make up a significant percentage of our total business, even in good times, are beginning to travel again. And that, that's enabling us to generate better uh, occupancies midweek, in addition to kind of this, this massive flood of uh, you know, leisure travel that, that's really propelling our weekend numbers. You're, you, I believe you just announced, uh, I don't know, a dividend, which is a seemingly like a fairly big announcement. Everybody cut everything, nobody's paying anything, hoarding cash. I think you guys are the first and only person to announce a dividend. I guess that assumes that you've got a positive view into the future and let's go, let's start, let's start getting back to normal. Yes. <laughs> we definitely have a positive view of the future. And I, and I don't think we're alone in that. I, I think if you were to talk to any of our peers in this space, um, having come through a very difficult time, I think across the board, the industry is beginning to see uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I think we're ahead of the curve a little bit. I, I mean, certainly our portfolio occupancy um, is, is leading that, um, largely because of the markets where we have greater concentration and our lack of reliance on large group. I, I think most people anticipate large group will come back, but, but much later than some of these other um, segments of, of demand. Um, you know, I, I think the dividend was an, is and always has been important to us and to our investors. Um, you know, as part of our covenant waivers with our lenders, we're limited in what we can pay out in the, the near term. Uh, our expectation is that um, because of our performance last year, because of how this year is shaping up, we'll be among the first, if not the first, to be able to exit that period of time. And, and really, then we'll be back to generating meaningful cash flows, which will enable us to, to return to paying a more significant dividend in the future. So uh, let's talk some numbers. And pardon my ignorance, I'm generalizing. But so pre-pandemic, you had, I don't know, $400 million of cash. 
uh, sitting there ready to go. Um, how much of it did you have to spend to stay afloat? Uh, I think now if I check, you've got 300 million in cash on the books, but how did you spend that 100 million? <laughs> you know, I highlighted the fact we were unique in that last year we generated a positive cash flow at the corporate right. level. And so if you, if you look at where we've spent cash over the past year, it's been in building out our portfolio. We acquired four hotels last year and, and another hotel this year. Um, the hotels are, are amazingly beautiful. Um, and you can go to our website and, and look at pictures of them, but two hotels in Cape Canaveral, uh, which benefited even during the pandemic from this boom in space travel. Uh, but as we see a return in leisure travel, we expect those hotels to be incredibly well positioned for that. Uh, we have two hotels in Tempe, right on campus. Um, and as we see a return in sporting events and things of the sort, we think those hotels will benefit. Though there are a lot of great business demand generators in addition to the university in that market. Um, and then recently, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, a beautiful hotel downtown right on campus next to the sport facility, sporting facilities. And, and we see the, that hotel doing incredibly well as well. Um, you know, I, I think being in a position where we're generating positive cash flow puts us in a position um, to go on offense, um, you know, more quickly and, and, and more responsibly, I think, um, that, than our peers who came into this more heavily levered. Um, and or are still working uh, through operational challenges. And, and that's not to say we're done. I, I mean, certainly I highlighted the fact that, that we've seen significant improvement in our operations, but we still have a long way to go. Um, and we're intently focused on you know, managing our cost structure and really driving revenues at our hotels, um, looking, I think, initially to get back to 2019 levels and, and then to push beyond those. Um, but we're, we're in a position where we're not, we're not, bleeding, you know, and, and I think we can pivot and really um, divide our attention so that we're focused on opportunities that present themselves in the market to drive incremental return for our investors. So we're, we're optimistic people, but I mean, the definition, again, if we went back a year ago, you had all of that cash built up to try and hold you through, right? Mm -hmm. You would drain through all of it just to stay afloat and hope mm -hmm. you didn't. Obviously, hindsight, that didn't happen. Cheers to you guys for operations, for insight of being in the right assets in the right markets, uh, you were able to use that cash, which no one would have predicted, to mm -hmm. actually buy some assets to go on offense. And now the world's coming back, right? So let's talk about, uh, we talk about acquisitions. That's a fun thing to talk about. It's fun to talk uh -huh. about buying things. Let's go on the other side. Let's talk about dispositions. Uh, uh -huh. You guys have uh, historically done a great job. And everybody has to clean up the portfolio, right? You can't just sit and on these things forever. There's a, a life cycle to the asset. You guys are evolving, getting bigger and nicer, buying on top, trimming off the bottom. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to me about what your disposition plans will look like in the future. Uh, it, you know, I, I think they're largely opportunistic. And at this point, um, you know, barring a large bid, we've sold four companies in the past, right. you know, right. several times over. So, you know, barring a large private equity bid for the entire company, I, we'll look to fine tune um, the, the portfolio by, uh, you know, selling individual assets, refining kind of the, the mix of assets within markets. And optimally, you know, we're pursuing transactions to benefit us as we look at our broader portfolio um, and our own needs and, you know, benefit the, the buyer of the portfolio. We've found, you know, depending on the buyer, um, the benefit on their side can be different. You know, private equity groups are looking to scale up and, and we found that we can create value for them by selling portfolios of assets, enabling them to avoid going individually and trying to assemble these portfolios on their own. Uh, with owner operators in market, uh, you know, th there's incremental value that they can achieve 
by expanding their scale within the market. And, and so they're attractive buyers of assets. And then recently, with some of our older extended stay product, we've seen uh, you know, significant interest from uh, buyers looking to convert those assets to multifamily. And, and given uh, you know, that the yield spread um, between uh, the, you know, the, the target yield for uh, multifamily investors and hotel investors, there's been this unique opportunity to, to really create a win-win there where we're, we're selling at, at really great cap rates um, on hotel operations to buyers who can achieve really great returns in the multifamily space on a relative basis to, to other investment opportunities. And, and you've seen us transact a few times in that way as well. Uh, I, I think they're going to keep coming. And there's so much capital out now. I mean, I don't know, we printed $7 trillion or something <laughs> recently. Uh, any, and we're going to print more. Any thoughts on that? That's going to help our industry or hurt our industry, uh, value the dollar, any of that kind of stuff? You're a smart guy. Let's hear it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think transactions are valuable. And if you talk to, the, you know, as transaction volume increases, and, and you know, because we saw, we saw a transaction volume slow well before we hit last year. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the money got in early. Um, into the space um, and benefited from the last recovery, which extended over a, a really long period of time, but which was much slower than we anticipate this recovery will be. Um, you know, I, I think um, transaction volume helps us. It helps the brands because with transactions, the brands are able to, um, you know, impose capital uh, improvement plans for the projects, which maintain the quality of the overall portfolio. Um, and, and really, uh, those transitions, I think, bring new, um, a new view to the assets, um, you know, sometimes new management, which, which really, I, I think, keeps the industry from becoming stagnant and individual hotels within the industry from, from losing relevance. So I, I think all of that's good. From an opportunity set standpoint, we love when the market's open, you know, and, and, and certainly tap into are you know uh, two decades of experience in the select service space um, to, to find assets that are unique in their potential to drive uh, you know uh, outsized returns for us and 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 I think having been through multiple cycles and having owned a, a ton of assets within this particular space in all different types of markets we're uniquely positioned to really identify and seek out and pursue assets that um, that that will I think move the needle from a, a total return standpoint on our side. And, and, you know, we've been in the space for a long time. We've been very cautious from the beginning to ensure that, that we've maintained a reputation as a quality buyer. Um, and and I, I think that gives us preference in a competitive environment, um, you know, where, where there are a lot of new entrants who are unproven in the space. Um, uh, you know, people know that when we say we're going to close on an asset, we, we close on an asset. And, and, and I think we found that in, at times, uh, and you can vouch for this, uh, at times we're not the highest bidder. Uh, we're, we're always in the ballpark, um, but, but we're, uh, we're seen as, as uh, providing incremental value because of the surety of close. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we have this, uh, this great group of management companies, many of whom develop assets um, and uh, you know, have created a pipeline for us throughout multiple cycles um, that has enabled us to, to strategically grow our portfolio with new assets, um, well located with the amenity set that we think will make them competitive uh, over the next cycle. Yeah, I think that's a big uh, differentiator for you guys a bit. I think that's what made you successful. You you don't manage your own assets, and I know a lot of people use that as a uh, 
as a strength, they say, well, we manage our own assets, we can control, but you've gone the other way and you've leaned on professional operators who are best in class and you can pick who's best in which geographic location for which asset class. Uh, and, and you've seen, I don't know, dozens of management companies. You can compare them, you can contrast, you know, who does what very well where. Oh, by the way, they also have a pipeline for you to keep you flowing. So it's a nice symbiotic relationship and it's been a uh, competitive advantage, I believe. Uh, it, it's really been amazing for us. And as you highlighted, I, I mean, these are groups that are best in, craft, uh, in class, have experienced developing assets and owning them on their own balance sheet, largely. Um, and, and so they, they take a very different view in managing our assets than uh, you know, some of the larger institutional uh, management companies, by and large, that we work with those as, as well. Um, and then because of the scale of our operation, we have an ability to benchmark their performance in, in significant ways, which, which enable us to really identify the opportunities. And, and our managers value that, right? Um, it, they come to us and ask, you know, how are we comparing on benefits relative to our, our peers? Uh, you know, how, how do we look, um, you know, on a cost per occupied room basis for this particular brand? on this line item. And, and we can provide them really robust uh, and detailed analysis from our side, which helps them to fine tune their operations. Beyond that, you know, I highlighted earlier, a part of our strategy is this broad geographic diversification. And we're able to enter markets um, and to operate efficiently, utilizing the scale of our operators within those markets without over-concentrating ourselves in some of these smaller markets where it wouldn't make sense to you know, three to five hotels. Um, we can own one or two hotels in the market, benefit from the economies of scale that are brought to that particular asset by scaled operations of our management companies without, you know, over-concentrating ourselves and increasing our risk uh, by being too heavily concentrated in the smaller market. Let's talk some of the fun speculation. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but Blackstone buy and Starwood buy an ESA. I'd love to get your thoughts uh, on that. And if you think other suitors are going to come knocking on your door. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think that surprised a lot of people in the industry. It, it's not surprising to me. I, I mean, Blackstone and, and Starwood are sophisticated investors. Um, I, I think they have an understanding of the space, having invested in it now uh, through a full cycle. Um, and, and I think they, uh, you know, along with a, a large number of other groups, understand we're early in the cycle. And a lot of opportunities created early in the cycle. Um, where there's going to be a rebound in operating performance. Um, I, I think given the depth of uh, the downturn that we just saw, you know, general expectations are that this cycle will see a much more significant um, you know, upward trajectory than we saw last cycle, where we saw kind of slow, steady improvement over a large number of years. I think most people expect this rebound will happen much more quickly. Um, and there's a unique opportunity to create value in the interim. Now, I mean, Blackstone, what is this, three or four times that they, they've, um, they've invested in, in extended today? So I don't know why any of us should be surprised. And, and I believe they've made money every time. I, I think, you know, I think it's likely that we'll continue to see M&A opportunity coming out of this and, and that private equity will be an active player in this space. Um, you know, there's value to be had in the hotel investment. Um, and, and it's much more likely that we'll see that type of investment when looking out two, three, four years, um, consensus is that we'll be in a much better place than we are now than it was, you know, as we were wrapping up the last cycle where it, it felt like everybody was waiting for the downturn. That, that just didn't happen. You know, I, I think 
people mistakenly thought we were at the end many years before we actually um, found the COVID pandemic and, and finally got to the end. All right. So give me final thoughts. Give me some final thoughts on the industry, where we're going to end up. I agree. We're racing out of this. There's tons of capital that's coming. It is so much more enjoyable to have this conversation today than it was oh, sure. a, year, a year ago. So, but give me your thoughts. Give me some final words of wisdom, please. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what wisdom I have to share with you, but I, I think I, I can leave you with some optimism. We're seeing meaningful improvement in our operating performance at our hotels. Um, I, I think that's a welcome relief to our teams in the field who have really been amazing during the downturn. And, and I, you know, I, I think a lot of us comment on it, but, but I think there's an underappreciation for how challenging um, the jobs have been for our people who have been working on site um, over the past year, uh, you know, between the pandemic, um, you know, an election that was somewhat contentious and, and all of the noise that, that surrounded that. Um, and really a weird, challenging environment to operate in that, that included, you know, uh, labor issues and, and um, management issues and, and sanitation protocols and, and a lot of other things. Um, our, our teams are tired. I, I, I think they've worked incredibly hard and they, they deserve all of our thanks and appreciation. I, I think coming out of this, they're like we are beginning to see the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel and, um, and, and I think have proven themselves and built their capacity in ways that will enable them to perform incredibly well. I, I think there will be a tremendous number of opportunities that are created over the next several years um, in our space. Uh, and, and we look forward to being active participants in the market. Um, you know, I, I think as we continue to see operations improve, we're better and better positioned to act on opportunities in the market. Um, I, I think our expectations are that over the next several years, we'll have an opportunity to meaningfully grow our platform. Um, and, and our investment thesis really remains unchanged. Um, we see tremendous value in investing in select service assets, broadly diversified with a mix of urban and suburban markets, um, and continue to utilize low leverage. Uh, you know, that, that's been something that's worked for us through multiple cycles. It's proven itself in good times and bad times, and it's put us in a, a great position to be able to produce really strong cash returns for our investors in the form of dividends and appreciation of the value of their underlying investment over time. You know, I, I think we touched on it, but we haven't highlighted directly the fact that, um, you know, we built eight hospitality platforms. Four of them now exist as part of this listed entity. But four of those platforms, we took full cycle in, in sales to private equity, uh, you know, achieving great valuations um, and really strong returns for our investors. I, I think there's increasing recognition within the investment community of the value potential for these types of assets. And we'll continue to see strong interest there, um, you know, really a continued growth in demand for the types of assets that, that we own. And, and uh, you know, I, I think continued growth in the markets where we own assets. Uh, Justin, you are amazing. You're a great friend. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to work. Uh, thank you for being, sure, thank you for being a leader in the industry. Thanks for everything you're doing, your 20 years of experience. Oh, by the way, all the capital that's trickling down to everybody else. Uh, but it's fun. It's been a blast to watch. Uh, please keep it up. Please keep it up. And thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. I love it. Thanks, Justin.